Next week, we're going to be celebrating the Yom Tov of Shavuos, the festival of Shavuos. Of course, that is a day that marks a nation recently taken out of Egypt, coalesces around Mount Sinai, and they experience what no other nation, not beforehand and not since, experiences an entire nation is temporarily uplifted to becoming prophets, to hearing the Ten Commandments from the Almighty at Sinai. And this begins the story of the Jewish people. At this juncture, we become the Almighty's nation. This is the ultimate culmination of the Exodus. Now the Jewish people are achieving their destiny of being a Mamleches Koanim, Vigoy Kadosh, a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. My grandfather, blessed memory, he always used to instill within us, each Yom Tif, each festival contains opportunities for us to transform ourselves. And our job as we prepare for the Yom Tif, for the festival, is to try to identify what the particular power and opportunity of the day is and to try to craft a strategy to tap into its power. So in that spirit... I want to study today one of the central themes, if not the central theme, of the upcoming Festival of Shavuos to see what it is and to see what we can learn from it. The Talmud tells us a very interesting discussion about whether or not we're supposed to partake in physical enjoyment during the holy days. And this is found in the Talmud in the book of Hapsach on page 68b, and it begins that Anatzeres, which is one of the many names of Shavuos, you have to also enjoy physically. It's not just a spiritual day of studying Torah, of, of praying, of doing mitzvos. It's also a day that you have to enjoy yourself physically. And that's the first statement. The second statement is, well, on Shabbos as well, you also have to enjoy yourself physically on Shabbos. And the third statement is, well, on Purim, that is a day that Scripture tells us is Yemei Mishtevah days of celebration. And therefore, on Purim as well, we have to physically indulge. And then it gives us a story of one of the Amorim, the son of Ravina. The entire year, he was an ascetic. He would refrain from partaking in physical pleasures. In fact, he would fast every day and he would eat only sparingly at night. And there was only three days in the calendar that he would eat during the day, and they are Atzeres, which is Shavuos, and Purim, and the day before Yom Kippur. Now, the Talmud goes on to say the following statement. Rabbi Yosef was one of the great sages of the Talmud. Every Shavuos, he would make the following declaration. Avdili Igla Tilsa, made for me a superb fat calf. I want to have a big barbecue. Why? Because this day I want to celebrate. Why, why are you celebrating? Omar, he said, Ilav Hayom, if not for this day, De Kagorm, if this day didn't cause what it caused, Kama Yosef Idga Beshukro. How many Yosefs are there in the market? Very interesting idea. Rav Yosef is telling us that this is a day I want to celebrate because on this day I became special. On this day I became extraordinary. There's many other people in the shuk, in the market, that are called Yosef, but I became distinct. I distinguished myself. I became unique because of this day, and therefore I want to celebrate. It's a very interesting idea here. The Talmud maintains that it's very important to celebrate in Shavuos, to make a festive banquet, to indulge in good food and drink, and we have this very interesting rationale. 
Rav Yosef, one of the sages of the of the Talmud, he would make a grand feast and he would say, this is the day that makes me special. I'm a great Torah scholar. I'm extraordinary. But I could have been regular. I could have been ordinary. There's many average Joes in the marketplace. I could have been run of the mill. And because of this day, because of Shavuos, this day caused everything to change. This day caused me to become extraordinary and therefore let's celebrate with some choice beef. I think there's a powerful message here. What Thomas is telling us is that the power of Shavuos is to transcend being generic, being standard, run-of-the-mill, being ordinary, and becoming extraordinary. Shavuos is the day to become great. Now, of course, that raises some questions. What does it mean to be extraordinary? What does it mean to be great? And why specifically Shavuos of all the days, why is this the day that makes us transcend the regular ordinary and become extraordinary, become great. What is special about Shavuos that allows us or that opens up the portals for us becoming special? There's many answers to this question. Rashi, for example, Rashi says, quite simply, Shavuos, we got the Torah. And the Torah is the key to becoming great. And if someone wants to ascend above ordinary people, the regular average Joes in the marketplace, you need to have Torah. We got the Torah today, and that's that, that makes us transcend the regular people. We became extraordinary, and therefore we celebrate it on this day. I want to suggest a little bit of a different approach, different angle to understand why Shavuos specifically, why is this the day that could potentially make us great? So, of course, Shavuos is the Zman Matan Torah Seinu. Shavuos is the time that we got the Torah. But if you think about it, what exactly did we get on Shavuos? Well, certainly we didn't get the written Torah on Shavuos. The Talmud, of course, brings two opinions, a Gemara and Gittin. Two opinions, did we get a Torah Chasuma Nitna, Torah Megillos Megillos Nitna? Was it written incrementally? Was it written at the end of the 40 years? But everyone agrees that the Jewish people not delivered a written document of the Torah at Sinai, at the end of Moshe's life. He, the very last day of his life, he writes down 13 copies of the Torah and gives one to each tribe and places a third one for posterity in the ark. And that's when the nation finally gets the written Torah. So it's Mamatan Torah saying it's the time to get over the Torah, but it's obviously not the written Torah. Well, if it's not the written Torah, it must be the oral Torah. That's what we got on Shavuos. Well, not exactly. If you think about it, what happens on the day? The nation experiences Sinai, and they get the Ten Commandments. It's ten mitzvot, maybe it's fourteen according to the Chinuch, but it's a small drop in the bucket. A couple of percent, you know, one one percent, two percent, three percent of the mitzvot. And then what happens afterwards? Moshe ascends to heaven. He's going to be there for forty days. He comes back forty days later, and the nation is partaking in the sin of the golden calf. They're doing the chet Egel. and he takes the two tablets, he takes the luchos, and he shatters them. And he takes the Edel Azav, he takes the golden calf, and he grinds it to a powder, makes everyone drink. He calls to arms, and Levim join him, Mila Shem Eli. He goes up a second time, he goes up a third time. And of course, the third time, that happens, that's launched. The third mission is launched on Rosh Chodesh Elul. 
and that's the final thirty, the final forty days. And he comes down on Yom Kippur with the Luchoshnios, the Mani says, and on the next day, we start learning Torah. So if you think about it, what happens on Shavuos? Shavuos, we didn't get the written Torah. And we really didn't get anything besides for the 10 mitzvos or 14 mitzvos of the Ten Commandments. And we start getting the mitzvos in Mas on Yom Kippur. So maybe Yom Kippur should be the day of the giving of the Torah. You can make a good argument that it is. You know, what are we doing in Kippur? We commit ourselves to fulfilling all of Torah. We regret any time that we transgressed the Torah. So in a certain way, Yom Kippur is associated with accepting all of Torah. But for some reason, Shavuos, when this all begins, this is the day that's classified as the given the Torah. And of course, there's many answers to this question. You know, Moshe begins to get the Torah. And even then, it's kind of problematic because we started, we got some mitzvahs beforehand in Mara. Rashi, for example, brings that the Ten Commandments, the Seres Debros, that's a condensed version of all of Torah. It has 613 uh, letters corresponding to all the mitzvahs. But I think whatever answer we give to the question as to why Shavuos is the day of the Torah, the bottom line is that we became really special on this day. In Devarim, we read that what this day represents is Hayom On this day we saw Adam On this day we saw that man can become great. Man can absorb the message of God. Man can experience prophecy and live to tell the tale. This is the day where something monumental happened. There's this touch point of heaven and earth. We have this transcendental experience. We experience prophecy at the foot of the mountain. The Almighty speaks to us, and we are forever elevated. Moreover, the Talmud tells us that this is the day when the impossible happened. Shabbos 88b, it tells us what happens when Moshe ascended to heaven. Moshe goes up to heaven, and the angels are absolutely perplexed by the sight of a humanoid, of an earthling walking amongst them. And they tell God, Ma Why is there a human, a child born to a mother, walking amongst us? So my response, well, he's coming to get the Torah. And they can't believe what they hear. Chamuda Gnuza, a beloved, cherished, hidden thing that you have with you, harbored with you for 974 generations before the world's created. The Holy Torah. And you're going to give it to Basar Adam? You're going to give it to lowly man, man of flesh and blood? What is humanity that she even matter in your eyes? The angels are saying humans are valueless. Humans definitely should not be the receptacles of Torah. And what does Moshe do? Moshe responds to them. And he argues with them. And he negotiates with them. And he triumphs over them. And he proves conclusively, he gets them to admit that truthfully, humanity, the Jewish people, should be the ones to harbor Torah. And the angels are so impressed with him that they, they each give him some secret that, uh, that ultimately he's going to use later on in the Torah. Think about it. This is the day where man triumphs over angels. On this day, we have the Torah, the Torah, 974 generations that's in heaven. The angels are sure to stay there forever. Moshe comes, a man comes to heaven, 
flesh and blood, Yilud Isha, and he extricates the Torah from its heavenly home and he brings it down to this world. This is the day that we achieved the impossible. And the power of this day is that we could once again achieve the impossible. On Shavuos, we remember that we were placed here to do big things. The Almighty has big plans for us. He believes in us. We could triumph over angels. This is the day that we go from being the generic Joe, the generic Yosef in the market, into becoming something special. And I think that we also learn the secret of how to do it. The secret to becoming great. It's not just to want it. It's not just to desire it. It's to decide that you're going to become great. To take a terrifying plunge, to take the initiative, to go for it, and to get it. The Almighty has this proposal to the Jewish people. I'm going to give you the Torah. But we all know the Gemara in Nevodah Zarah. He comes to all the other nations. And then she says, no, this is not for us. And you know what? They were very prudent. They were right. The Almighty's Torah to lowly man? The, the other nations were were correct, perhaps, were logical about saying this is really too much for us to bear. What do the Jewish people say? It's impossible? We're doing it anyhow. Nasev and Ishma, we're in. We're signing up for the Almighty's program, whatever it takes. Shavuos, that's the day where we bite off more than we can chew. We do the things that, that's not responsible. We do the imprudent thing of saying, we can't do it, we're going to do it anyhow. We're going to shoot for accomplishing the impossible. And ultimately, we're going to discover that we can actually do it. And my grandfather, blessed memory, he used to always talk about, about Yisro in this light. Of course, we know that the Parsha in which the Torah is conveyed, in which the, the Sinai experience is conveyed, is called Parsha's Yisro. And we know the whole story. Yisro is Moshe's father-in-law, and he's living away in Midian. And he hears about what happens to the Jewish people. And he gets inspired. And he comes to join the people. And they make a big festive banquet for him. And the next day, he wakes up and sees something which he finds inefficient. Moshe is standing from day to night. And he is judging the people and comes along Yisro and puts on his consultant hat and says, wait, this is not an efficient system. And he creates the whole hierarchical system. Every 10 people have one leader, every 50, every 100, every 1,000. And only the most difficult questions come to Moshe. And that's almost like the introduction, the, the, the prelude, the preamble to Torah. And then right away it says, okay, with the Jewish people are on Mount Sinai, and then the most important event in human history happens. And my grandfather used to always ask, if we're going to name a Parsha, the most important Parsha maybe of the whole Torah, we're going to name it after Yisro, after Jethro, Moshe's father-in-law, who just until recently was a pagan, who had sampled all the other idols in the world, and now he comes, Johnny come lately and says, okay, you know what, I want to join the Jewish people. Maybe Moshe should be the deserving recipient of the honor. It should be called Parshas Moshe instead of Parshas Yisro. That's my grandfather's question. And he added, you know, the Ramban brings two different opinions as to whether or not Yisro came before Sinai or after Sinai. The Rabban is of the opinion that he came before Sinai. But there's a whole discussion. When did, when did Yisro show up? Was it before Sinai or was it after Sinai? And he pointed out, says, think about it. 
according to the opinion that Yisro came after Sinai, the Almighty had to manipulate the chronology to present the story of Yisro before Sinai, even though it happened afterwards. And he used to always say that Yisro is the introduction to Torah. Because Yisro embodies the message of the revelation of Sinai and of the festival of Shavuos. Vayishma Yisro. Yisro heard. He heard about all the miracles. It was front page news across the world. You know who else heard it? Everyone else heard it. Yisro wasn't special because he got the message. Everyone got the message. What makes Yisro special, said my grandfather, is that he took initiative and no one else did. My grandfather used to always say, imagine you're reading the New York Times and you're smoking your cigar and you read about the Jewish people. They were in Egypt, they were enslaved and the whole miracle happened. The ten plagues, the nation is taken out of Egypt in miraculous fashion, splitting of the sea. You'll give a nice drag on your cigar. This is my grandfather's words. And you say, what a nice story. And you move on to the next section. Yisro takes action. He commits himself to the cause. He takes the plunge. He says, okay, I'm in. Where do I sign? And that's why he is made great as a result. And that's why he's given that amazing honor. That is what the day is all about. The day is about deciding, taking initiative, deciding to become great, and everything else will flow as a result. And my grandfather, Alei Shur, brings the story of Rabbi Akiva. We know Rabbi Akiva, he became the greatest sage of his era. But he had a late start to learning. At the age of 40, he was still a totally ignorant shepherd working for Kalba Savua, working for his soon-to-be father-in-law as a shepherd. And he marries his master's daughter. And the master promptly disavows his daughter. And he makes a nether, he makes a legally binding vow that she cannot partake in any of his assets. And Rakiva has this epiphany at the rock. He is bringing his his animals to go uh, to be watered by the by by the well, and he sees this cylindrical hole bored into the rock, and he says, "Well, where did this hole come from?" And he sees a small drip of water that, after many many years dripping on the same spot, is able to bore a a hole through the rock. And he says, "Well, if water which is soft could bore a hole through a rock which is hard, certainly tar which is hard can penetrate my heart." And he dedicates himself to go learn. And after 12 years, he comes back and he has 12,000 students. And after 24 years, he comes back and he has 24,000 students. And the Talmud, the book of Ksubas, tells us that when Rabbi Tiva, at this time already accepted as the greatest leader in the land, when he returns back home, the community throngs to go meet him. And of course, his, his wife is there. And people don't realize what her contribution is. And he says, Sheli Shalah, my Torah, your Torah is all her Torah. But he also has a meeting with his father-in-law. And his father-in-law is totally unaware that he is meeting the greatest sage of the land, and that's his that's his son-in-law. And the father-in-law asked him, Well, I made a vow to disavow my my daughter from my assets, but I regret it. And there are uh, there is some precedent. Halachic precedent of when someone makes a vow and they, they, they didn't know at the time how it would make them feel, they could potentially go to the sage and the sage would annul that, that vow. 
So Rakiva asked him, says, well, what if you, your son-in-law that your, your daughter is going to marry, what if you became a scholar? Would you have made the vow under those conditions? And he says, well, if you learned even a little bit, I would have been okay with it. He says, okay, shalom aleichem, nice to meet you, I'm your son-in-law, and the rest is history. But a very famous comment by Tosfos on that particular Gemara. Tosfos is bothered by the legality of this annulment. And he quotes the Talmud of the book of, of Nadarim. Talmud says, well, when you annul it, you can't annul based upon a factor that comes later on. If something develops after the fact that makes you question the vow, well, then that would that would not be grounds for annulment. So Rabbi Kiva, at the time of at the time of the vow of his father-in-law, he was he was ignorant. Only later on did he go study. So how is he able to annul the vow? And Tosos gives a very powerful answer. Hacha lo chashiv nolad. This situation is not considered something which comes later on. Why? Because once someone goes to go study and they commit themselves to study, it is natural, it is predetermined that they become Adam Gadol, they become a great person. It's a fascinating insight over here. Rabbi Kiva, at the time, is a total ignoramus. In fact, the major says he didn't even know how to read Alphabase. Doesn't know how to read. Yet, what the Tosfos is telling us here is that his decision alone, his commitment, his plunge to say, I'm going to study, that already mandated, that predetermined, that, that assured that he's on his way to become the leader of the land. Think about it. What is the gulf between an ignorant shepherd and Adam Gadol and a great person, a great sage, a great leader of his people? It's vast. Think about what, how much Rabbi Kiva learned in the interim spanning these two points in his story. It's unimaginable. Yet it's already included in the decision. Someone says, I'm in, I'm going to study. You make that commitment, success is guaranteed. That's the lesson of Shavuos. This is the day the Jewish people say, we're ignorant. What do we know? <laughs> Just a few months ago, we were pagans like the Egyptian neighbors. And they say, we're in. And they have the Almighty's Torah given to them. They have prophecy. They are elevated eternally to be the Almighty's nation. There's a promise here. If people commit themselves, genuinely commit themselves to become great, everything's already guaranteed to happen. Very fascinating idea. You know, I always think about this story of Rabbi Kiva. I think about that rock. Somewhere in the world, there's a rock. Maybe it's not around anymore. But there's a rock that has a hole in it that was penetrated by that water. And we know, like, how much of Jewish history hinges on that particular rock. Think about it, Rabbi Kiva. He was the one. All the Torah was forgotten. And all of the Torah is Kula Libid Rabbi Kiva. All the Torah that we have today, all the Torah Shabbat that we have today, comes via the school of Rabbi Kiva. And Rabbi Kiva only went to go study because of the rock. Ergo, we could say that that particular rock, that's really the reason why we're still here. Maybe we should find the rock. And maybe we should make a monument to it, the fact that this rock contributed that we're still around today. And of course, that is a little bit of a ridiculous notion because it wasn't the rock that made Robert Kiva great. 
It was his commitment, his plunge into the unknown, his decision to become great. That is what turned him into who he became. The rock was maybe the cause that triggered it, but if it wasn't this rock, it could have been something else. It was his commitment and his determination that put him on the fast track to becoming the great man that he became. So we're making a very bold and audacious claim. Shavuos teaches us that we can all become great. This is the day to transcend the ordinary and become extraordinary. But how exactly does it work? You're telling me, Rabbi Walbert, you're telling me that if you just decide to do it, you just say you're going to yeshiva, you just say like you're Yisro, you're in, your commitment, your decision to to plunge into the terrifying abyss, that is enough to ensure that it's going to succeed. How indeed does someone undertaking a mission, a pursuit of greatness, how does that ensure that the impossible task will ultimately succeed? I think there's an answer from our Parsha. Parsha's Bamidbar. My grandfather used to always say that Parsha's Bamidbar, Sefer Midbar, is the book about the greatness of man. It starts off to uplift the nation. Every person is counted. Every person has an audience with Moshe and, and Aaron. This is the book and this is the Parsha. tells us how great we are and how great we can become. So the Parsha begins. Moshe is counting the Jewish people and he counts them tribe by tribe. And the tribe of Levi is not counted till later. And then in, in the third parrot, in the third chapter, he's told to go count the tribe of Levi, the tribe of Levi. But the difference is, is that the rest of the nation, he counts from the age of 20 and up. And the tribe of Levi is from the age of 30 days, babies, infants, and up. So the verse tells us, Moshe counted them, al So Rashi asked the question, who counted him? Did Moshe count him? Or was it al Or did, was it as per the word of God? So it's an amazing Rashi here. I always say this, right? Every time I, get, I read this Rashi, I get emotional. And every year I plan to make a bumper sticker out of this Rashi. What does Rashi say? There was a dialogue between Moshe and God. Amar Moshe Baruch Hu. Moshe said to God, how am I going to enter their tents to know how many suckling infants there are in a particular tent? If you want to count adults, well, you can make an announcement. All adults come. You count all adults and that's it. You're counting small babies in their bassinets. How are you going to do it? I respond to him. You do your job. And I will do my job. You do your responsibility. Let me do my responsibility. So what did Moshe do? He did his responsibility. He went to each tent. And then he reached the brick wall. They might have told him prophetically how many babies were in that particular tent. And thus, it the verse tells us it was counted al-pi Hashem. I think this is the foundational idea of how we become Bigger people. How we become greater people. We're worried. What if I'm unsuccessful? What if I try and, I'm, and it doesn't work out? doesn't pan out? How could you say then Shavuos, Rabbi Tiva, he wants to go learn and he's in and he'll become great. How does he become great? This is the answer. The Almighty only expects us to do what we can do. Only what's within the realm of feasibility of our actions. You do your job. Don't worry about the Almighty doing his job. 
And the money is promising us that if we do our job, if we commit ourselves on this day to becoming great, we'll become great. Of course, that demands that we are sincere and genuine about what we want. But once we're in and once we have a plan of how we're going to do it, the Almighty will clear away all the obstacles and ensure that our mission will succeed. My grandfather, blessed memory, every week in his yeshiva, and he had various yeshivas over the course of his career, of his tenure, in 1948, he founded yeshiva in Be'er Yaakov, and he was there until 1983. And every week, he would give a mimer. He would give like a like a Musser schmooze, which is a Musser lecture, a Musser discourse, every week for years and decades. In fact, he used to always tell us, he says, if you want to go into the rabbinate, become a Rosh Hashiva and not a Mashiach. Why? Because a Rosh Hashiva, you work for five years, and you study all the the, the books of Talmud, uh, very intensely, the books of Talmud that they study on a regular routine basis in the yeshiva, and then you're, you're good. You prepare everything you need to do. You need to every year retouch it, revisit it, but you kind of covered the material needed to be a, a successful yeshiva. If you're a mashtiach, you're going to give the Muslim lectures every, every week in yeshiva. Every week you have to come up with something new. And you can't rely on previous stuff. A Megrafa would never recycle stuff. In fact, he left over voluminous writings of Mamorim, of these essays, of these treatises, uh, thousands of essays that he wrote over the course of of his career. In fact, he wrote it with such German precision, with Yekis precision, that everyone was titled and everyone was dated, and and there's no no words are crossed out. And in fact, uh, since he's passed, we've actually published three volumes of Das Shlomo, as it's called, uh, his collected uh, writings and, and teachings. And we have so much more. The amount uh, that my grandfather published is staggering, but the amount that is yet unpublished exceeds the amount that is published. So he was a very voluminous uh, writer and thinker and speaker. And every week he would give a mime in, in, in yeshiva. And there was one week that he just didn't have what to say. And uh, sometimes he would speak on, on, on Shabbos, sometimes he would speak on Wednesdays. Over the course of, of, of the years, the schedule changed. And he knows Wednesday night you gotta speak. It's, it's in the schedule at seven o'clock. There's, there's the Musr Shmooz. There's the Mimer. And he just has nothing to say. He has nothing to say. And the t- clock is ticking. It's getting closer. And he, he's not coming up with anything. And he has nothing to do. He doesn't know what to do. He's in his house. And they used to have, uh, his apartment was right on the Yeshiva campus. And he has no other option besides for it to put on his hat and to put on his frock and to walk into the yeshiva and see what happens. He gets the yeshiva and something that never happened before and never happened since happens. His partner, the Rosh Hashiva, Moshe Shmuel Shapiro, comes to him and tells him, I have a very unusual request. I know this is your slot to speak. This is, this is sacrosanct. This is the time that you speak. But my father-in-law, he came to visit us. And he really, really wants to give a message over to the yeshiva. He really wants to take your slot and to speak to the yeshiva. Would you be okay if he takes over your slot? My grandfather said, at that point, it hit him. You know, we all think that we're geniuses. We're brilliant. After all, you know, I could give a lecture and it's, it's, it's challenging and it's, and, and it's intelligent and it's, it's interesting and it's, it, it's intriguing and it's, it's empowering. It's inspiring and the students listen and, and they're moved by it. 
You think it's you. And then this story happens and you have nothing to say and the Almighty is teaching you a very powerful lesson. All the other times when you did have a speech, that was the gift of God. That was because you said, you committed yourself to this responsibility. And the Almighty says, okay, when you're in, you do your job, I'll do mine. And when you don't need to speak because there's someone else who's scheduled to speak, then you're not going to get it. It's a very powerful insight to us. He was scheduled to speak, but he wasn't scheduled to speak. And when he is scheduled to speak, when he is committed, when he has to do something for his role as a leader in the yeshiva, the Almighty endows him with the wisdom and insight to do it. And when he doesn't need to, then the Almighty withholds it. And that too is a powerful lesson. Shavuos. It's upcoming. It's the time for us to aspire for greatness. It's the time for us to say, we don't want to be ordinary. We want to be extraordinary. Bite off more than you think you can chew. Take initiative. Try to become great. And we're promised by God. If you dedicate yourself to the task, the Almighty will help you to get there and to succeed. We can be the ordinary Joe in the marketplace. But on this day, we remember that the Almighty made us to be great. This is the day where man triumphed over angels. We took the Torah. This is the day that we had the impossible task. And we said, Nasev and Ishma. And what happened? We said, Nasev and Ishma. Right away, we got the crowns. Even before we heard, before we did it. Talmud tells us, when the Jewish people said, Nasev and Ishma, they got two crowns. One for Nasev, one for Ishma. Do you know why? This is the answer. Once you commit, once you do the Nasev and Ishma, once you plunge in, you already have, everything else is already predetermined. You've made that decision to become great and you already have the crowns, even though you haven't earned it. But the decision part is behind you and you're on your way like Rabbi Akiva to becoming a great person. Yisro is a very fitting prelude to Sinai to Shavuos. He shows us how it's done. He was maybe a connoisseur of idolatry, but he undertook the journey. He committed himself. He heard the message. He took action. And he was richly rewarded as a result. If we decide, like Rabbi Tiva Tarat, to become great, once the decision has passed us, it's already determined that we will succeed. Now this year, I think it's not going to be a regular Shavuos. And of course, that's a challenge, but there's a concomitant opportunity with the challenge as well. Are we going to be in shul for Shavuos? Who knows? Are we going to be able to study overnight on Shavuos? Maybe yes, maybe no, maybe by ourselves. It's going to be very different. But I think this presents a fabulous opportunity for us to accelerate our path to greatness. I've said this before, but, you know, what's happening now with the virus and what's what it's doing to the world and what it's doing to the economy and what it's doing to the stock market, it's really unprecedented. And the forward-thinking businessmen are always trying to figure out when there's a good opportunity to jump into the market. Maybe if you could time the market, if you know when it's at a low, at a nadir, you find the bottom, you could become fabulously wealthy as a result of this opportunity. To a certain degree, kind of in, in the world, in the market, things are on sale, things are cheap, and they are affordable. And I think that applies ever more so with our spiritual agenda. Things are on sale. There's opportunities that we have today. There's greatness that's available to us today 
that wasn't available to us on a regular Shavuos. Things are available. Things are cheap. We have to seize them and we have to grab them. I want to end off with one more story from my grandfather. During the war years, he was in Sweden. It's a whole story how he ended up in Sweden. He was in yeshiva in, in the Mir in Poland. And because he was a German citizen, he wasn't allowed to remain in Poland. And he had very few opportunities. And the only opportunity that he had was to go to Sweden to be like a, a teacher in in Stockholm to teach him Torah. And these eight years that he spent in in Stockholm from 1938 to 1946 when he moved to Israel, these were the formative years. That, that's when he became the giant that he became. But he said a story. He said there was one year af- after after the war had ended that he had the most powerful, evocative Rosh Hashanah of his life. Why? Because uh, Sweden had opened its doors to a lot of refugees, to a lot of of people that had gone through the Holocaust, had gone through the hell of 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 the inferno that engulfed Europe, and many of them were very sick. And Sweden had opened up its doors to a select group of of survivors, and they had erected massive hospitals to try to treat them and to try to um, resuscitate essentially these uh, these poor uh, these poor refugees. So my grandfather, there was a, a small minion in Stockholm, and he decided that year to abandon the minion and to go to the hospital, to the area of the hospital, to spend Rosh Hashanah with with those uh, with those patients. And he said this was the most powerful Rosh Hashanah of his life. He davened biyichidas, he davened by himself, and from morning to night. He went with a chauffeur from room to room, blowing chauffeur for these people who were teetering between life and death. And he said that on the second day of Rosh Hashanah, many of the people that he had blown chauffeur for the previous day had already expired. And he said this Rosh Hashanah was more powerful than any time he was in yeshiva. It was in the mirror in, the, in, 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 Kippur, in his own yeshiva. This was the most powerful thing. I think that's the model that we have to follow it's not ideal. No one asked for this pandemic. Uh, and of course, this is not the way we would have scripted it. Shavuos, it's probably going to be, even if we do end up in, in shul, even the, the shuls around the country that are open over here, you got to wear a mask the whole, the whole davening. It's not, it's not, it's not a normal life, but we have to try to find out every, every yumptif and every shavuos, how can we become great? And I think there's going to be opportunities for us specifically during Shavuos 2020, during the coronavirus crisis, there's going to be opportunities for us to accelerate our transition to greatness. May we all merit to become great, to become extraordinary on this Shavuos, and may we have the ability to celebrate and to say, you know what? I could have been ordinary. There's a lot of Joes in the short. There's a lot of Joes in the marketplace, but I chose greatness. I chose to become extraordinary. And this is the day that my life changed. I thank you all for listening. If you would like to email me, my email address is rabbiwalbergima.com. 